Welcome to Supply Chain Briefs, the podcast that discusses the challenges, innovations, and critical issues of, t- of today's global supply chains. I'm your host, Joseph Moretta, and thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we have special guest Bill Leonard to discuss the current global component shortage that seems to be plaguing companies worldwide. Bill, Bill Leonard is currently a project manager at Zebra Technologies, working in ENO mitigation. For the last 23 years, Bill has been with Symbol and Motorola, which is now recognized as Zebra Technologies in Holtzville, New York. Additionally, Bill has earned both his CSCP certification and CPM, CPIM certification through APEX and brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. So without further delay, please welcome Bill Leonard to the show. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Joe. Good evening. How you doing? Thank you for the invite. And Thanks for the lead-in, and like I said, right, my current uh, role responsibility is I'm actually supply chain project manager in uh, supply chain, obviously, and with a big focus on, you know, part of the inventory team working on E&O mitigation and uh, supply chain continuity at a very high level. And to your point, uh, you know, many years through uh, Symbol, Motorola, Zebra, several companies prior to that, so, you know, Worked in a variety of industries, including, you know, healthcare, defense, consumer electronics, and so on. And yeah, in addition to the certifications, I've been an APEX member. I think I did the math this morning. It's 25, 26 years now. Wow, wow. Going, going back to, uh, and actually when I, you know, probably the first half of my career was in engineering. And uh, that's how I kind of got into APEX way back when, because there happened to be a class in one of the CPI modules called, you know, just-in-time manufacturing. Right. Uh, don't think it's a module anymore. I'm not sure. But, you know, as an engineer and working in production lines and facilities, I said, hey, that'd be a great thing that's very applicable to what I do. So I took that one class, that one module, the company symbol at the time gave on-site classes, uh, took the training class, was encouraged to, hey, you spent all this time, why don't you go take the exam? Okay, I did. And, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, took all the modules, got my CPIM and, you know, uh, probably 10 plus years later, went through the um, CSCP course as well. So earned both of those certifications. And like I said, you know, 25 year member of APEX now, you know, uh, ASCM, so a lot of you know good personal learning, both on the engineering side and like I said, the second yeah. half of my career that's been more inventory and supply chain focused. Uh, that's great. That's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. You, you, you know, you definitely bring a lot to the table, and we're very appreciative of your time. And we thank you for uh, you know giving us a little bit of uh, your time to kind of discuss this uh, topic right here. So, Bill, uh, let's jump into it. Um, you know, currently companies are facing this global component shortage, and it just seems like it's causing a lot of stress and a lot of uh, headaches, especially within, within the supply chain. So what what's actually happening right now? What is going on with this shortage? And, you know, what is this impact looking like? Uh, yeah, so at a high level, I like to call it, I mean, again, in, in my world, you know, I mean, this is a daily event, not me, but supply chain in general. And, you know, it's not unique to Zebra. It's not unique to one industry. It is pretty worldwide. Um, you know, and really, it's if you if you live in the defense, not even defense, electronics industry, regardless whether it's consumer goods, defense goods, doesn't matter. Um, you know, many, many 
products, companies, business sectors are being impacted. And, and, you know, a lot of people ask, well, you know, I hear about it, but, you know, why? You know, what's the cause? I see it on the news. I read it in supply chain journals. I, I hear it in my job. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors, you know, everyone knows about, you know, what's gone on and continues to go on with, you know, Corona. And, um, but, you know, some interesting, you know, outcomes of that, what has it led to, right? You, you look at, you know, the work from home strategies that many companies have or hybrid strategies. So a lot of people working from home. Well, what does that mean? For, in many cases, right. you know, that's creating, you know, you know, kind of unplanned demand for computers and laptops and other devices. Right. Um, that's, you know, and then, you know, you can expand that to the corporate level where, you know, uh, you know, a lot of companies are not being, you know, forced to, you know, if they live in a hybrid world, well, I've got to supply equipment to people to work in the office and perhaps a second set of computers and equipment to work at home, increased demand. Um, uh, you know, the other thing, just interestingly enough, you know, work-related but not, you know, they say gaming, you know, everyone's yeah. their PlayStation and whatever their personal device of choice is. Um, then a lot of new releases, People are home, people aren't, can't go out, there's no, you know, entertainment, no shows to go to, no place to go to. So what a lot of people do, gaming. One, they're home, they have time to game, two, a lot of new releases, right. new new platforms, increasing demand. Um, kind of one of the other things, too, is, you know, the automotive industry of, of late, you know, it really slowed, but the demand for that is now increasing. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, just healthcare in general, you know, just the need for whether it's contact tracing or any other, you know, protocols right. that are being implemented. Well, people buying devices to do that typically. So you add that all up, it's demand streams that nobody anticipated. Right. So, so you have a lot of competition in, in you a, a sense. Lo- right. You got a lot of competition for you know, electronic parts. I'll talk about the types of parts in a moment. And yeah. that, that's kind of the, you know, demand side of it. But then you look at the flip side. Okay, well, you know, we're all about supply and demand. Well, you look at the supply, you know, there's been a lot of sort of interesting trends, but, you know, a lot of the biggest impacts are, you know, memory and semiconductors and microprocessors and things like that. And, you know, a lot of these big, you know, chip manufacturers in years past did a lot of their own manufacturing. They had their own factories. Well, right. many of them over the last, you know, I'll say 10 years have chosen for overhead reasons, for capacity reasons, for other, you know, strategic reasons, political reasons that, you know, look, we don't want to be in the business of manufacturing these types of parts. We want to design them, prototype them, go run them through an MPI cycle, optimize them and, you know, have them made and sell them and reap the reward of, of that design. But we don't want to be the manufacturer. You know, it's it's very equipment intensive, very factory right. and labor and overhead intensive, a lot of equipment, a lot of testing. So right. what, what's happened is many of these uh, chip manufacturers have outsourced those activities. Okay. And what does that mean? So, you know, you get into like hardcore chips, you know, microprocessors and things like that. They got to go through foundries and secondary converters and whatnot. Well, there are now less of these places to go to have your chips produced. And for all the reasons I described, there is an enormous increase in demand and they just can't support it. You know, wow. that's kind of the bottom line is a lot of these, you know, chip manufacturers say, great, I got this great demand stream 
but I don't have a factory anymore. I've outsourced much of that manufacturing activity to a, to a foundry or a converting house. And well, they can only build so much. And even those converting houses or foundries or you know, whatever step in the manufacturing process is, well, they're reliant on their own suppliers of whether it's you know silicon or other raw materials and components to build it. And those suppliers are short. So right. you know, so every place you look, there's a you know, there's a shortage somewhere in that supply pipeline. And there's kind of a, a very, you know, I won't say fixed capacity to build, but there's capacity, there's some kind of you know, scheduled upside um, or flex capacity, but it, it, you know, these manufacturers just can't absorb it. So for all of those industries that are, you know, starving for chips, yeah. it's, it's kind of like whether it's first come first serve or who's going to pay me more or whatever. Right. So it's kind of like get in line and yeah, we may be able to fulfill your order. I know when you want it, I probably can't fulfill it then. It may just take time. So, right. So it seems like there's, uh, you know, the food supply in a sense is the same, but there's a lot more mouths to feed. Uh, good, good analogy. That, yeah. You know, and, and, and then there's, you know, some other kind of more minor dynamics around it. Like I said, even with, uh, you know, you talk about Asia where a lot of this, you know, especially with the Corona uh, events started, well, it kind of a, a good news, bad news there is, you know, much of that industry has largely recovered from COVID and frankly, much sooner than anybody anticipated. So right. good for those businesses, but for the same reasons, all of those businesses that are now 50, 80, hundred percent recovered. Well, what does that mean? I need chips too now. <laughs> right. So right, they're getting right. in line. So, and again, I say chips, it's there, there's a lot of parts that kind of fall into this. It spans, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of commodities, you know, like I said, it's, it's, you know, the obvious ones are memory and microprocessors and things right. like that, but we're seeing it with, uh, MLCCs, multi-level chip capacitors. We're seeing it with other things, uh, you know, sensors and certain optical drivers, you know, there's, there was a whole host of commodities that are being impacted by this, but, you know, the, it's the same common theme, I think, through all of them, because, you know, everyone kind of looks at their company and their products as, oh, well, you know, I'm unique and differentiated from everyone else. But, you, you know, you kind of boil it down, whether it's a mobile computer, gaming system, an automobile. Right. Largely, a lot of the, I won't say the core technology, but the core componentry is fairly similar. And then you break it down and say, well, and they're going to the same sort of limited number of sources to get that stuff. You know? Right. And I would have to imagine, though, that um, that this would have an impact on cost as well. So now companies have to, you know, budget their their, you know, fine tune their budgets, allocate more resources um, to accommodate for this for whatever they can get. Well, and it's absolutely true. So, I mean, if you look at you know, very high level kind of, you know, what are those impacts? You know, if you live in a supply chain, like you and I do, and many of the other yeah. ASCM members, it's, you know, I mean, the immediate and obvious thing is, look, we got shortages everywhere, you know, multiple commodities probably affecting, you know, 60 to 80% of the product portfolio. And, you know, but, and what does that mean? Well, very short term, what does that mean is, look, I can't get parts. Um, it's impacting customer delivery first and foremost. You know, not only that I'm late is one thing, yeah. but probably even worse from a customer perspective, 
is you, in some cases you become unpredictable. So it'd be right. one thing to say, Hey, you know, I was supposed to deliver on May 1st. Okay. I'll, I can now deliver on June 15th. All right. Eh, customer will be a little upset, but you've given a commitment. But right. when, when you tell them that, and next week it goes from June 15th back to June 1st. And the next week it goes to August 30th. And, and, and a lot of that's happening because you're getting commits and I'll put that word in quotes from some of these right, suppliers, right, but right. for all the dynamics we just discussed, a, a lot of these commits become very fluid or, you know, somebody else will come along and say, Hey, well, if I paid you a dollar more for that part, would you allocate your supply to me instead of the other customer? And that's happening. Right. So, and what does it lead to is you got delivery problems for, for, for your customers and, you know, everything's about customers first and foremost. Absolutely. Um, your, your, your supplier relationships are becoming, in some cases, very strained, right? right? We're making demands on them. They're trying their hardest. They're kind of in the middle. They're trying to optimize their business, obviously, as well. Right. And they're going to go and they're going to yeah. go where, where they can get the parts. Well, that's so, right. You know, you have a hot commodity and what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to maximize your revenue like every company does. And if I can sell it to somebody else because they're willing to pay more, they, they get it. And, right. So many of those, and I'll say probably not your biggest suppliers that way you generally tend to have, I'll say, fairly good relationships, strong communication, strong supply relationship management. It's the middle tier, the lower tier, the smaller suppliers that you rely on. They're not probably in your core supplier portfolio. And that's where those challenges are happening. Right. Um, what else is happening? Like we talked about, you know, your deliveries are being late. They're incomplete. Um, and then you get into cost. Inevitably, even if you can overcome some of the delivery and shortage problems is the supplier is, is either mandating that you pay a higher cost because they're absorbing more overhead. They're working overtime. They're working multiple shifts, multiple plants, seven days a week. And that comes at a cost. And guess what? In many cases, that cost is being passed along in your piece price. So um, you are seeing component costs go up. And what right. does that do? Which means your product cost is going up and that's starting to erode your product margin. You know, you're making, right. you know, you're selling, you, you know, in most cases, and I uh, speak for where I live, you know, it's, it's difficult and painful to just say, well, pass that cost along to a customer. Right. You know, it's right. hard to do because, you know, your products have typically been priced at a certain point and why, right. well, it's based on your cost. It's based on what competitors are selling. So you have to price a product properly to for customers to come by it because in many cases you know whether it's zebra or other companies you know there's other competitors that are making very similar products to yours and you know Absolutely. if they can go to custom to supplier a b or c well they'll they'll go cheaper so we are absorbing those those charges the costs are going up um yeah uh, and and what what you know some of the impacts of that are you know we're getting you know customers are you know, we talk about customer satisfaction. There's a lot of customer dissatisfaction right. going going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, it, you know, there's a big risk with certain customers that, you know, they may leave and not right. come back. If right. either you can't deliver or you can't deliver for the right price, you know, you talk about perfect order and other things like that. Well, they'll, you know, especially for more commoditized products, they'll find somewhere else to get it. So if you don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's definitely going to impact uh, your, you know, your company's market share as well. And then that, you know, and that positioning is going to get impacted. 
That's right. And, and you share and you talk about kind of just reputation of your company. You know, you could have had great company. You built up a reputation, loyalty with your customers. And like any relationships, you know, yeah. what was really good can turn really bad and leave a very bitter taste that doesn't leave your mouth quickly. You know, so right. there's a really um, strong possibility that depending on how well you manage it. And another interesting thing that people don't think about, too, is you talk about initial deliveries of, of product. Well, there's always a service and repair element to this as well, where because you think about it, you know, you need material to build and ship products. Right. Well, most companies have a, you know, service and repair organization that provides support and contract support for those products. Well, guess right. what? And they need material, generally the same material that goes into the initial production. So you can run into situations where, hey, there's a fixed amount of material and somebody's going to make the hard decision. Well, do I build product and ship it or do I give that same material or a percentage of it to my services organization so they can honor their repair contracts? And that can be a difficult trade-off. So the point right, is so it does have a, an impact on your ability to service product as well. Absolutely. And 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 then and then you come to the, what you just mentioned is where all right, we have X amount of material. Does that go to building new new units or does that go to um, servicing the current people who have these products that are under those contracts, just like you said. Um, and that can be like a catch 22 because you give it to these people, they're happy, but now these other people are not happy. Right. And so, it leads to, yeah. And, and on that service side, again, you have the same opportunity for big customer dissatisfaction. Trust me, I've lived through it many times where, you know, Hey, thank you for shipping me the product. I love it. But I signed up for, for example, a five-year service contract, and now you're going to come back and tell me I can only honor two or three years of that because you can't get material? Well, right. Unacceptable, and it leads to the same, you know, reputational issues as well. Right, and nobody wants to have their company leave a bad taste in the mouth of their customers because that's just it's just not good business. It's not the way that people want to operate, but when you get forced into these environments where you have these shortages – um, it can become challenging. And, you know, at the end of the day, business is business, you know, no, no hard feelings. But if you can't produce or honor your commitments, well, we're going to have to go somewhere that can because we have needs as well. And your and your business is supposed to be meeting our needs. And now you're not. So definitely can understand um, the challenges there. So Bill, I want to jump into um, another area of this. So we talked about some of the impacts we talked about you know, what kind of caused this, we're kind of in this perfect storm. What are companies doing or what can companies doing to do to kind of mitigate some of this? You know, are there strategies that they can implement? Are there different things that they can do to better plan? Um, is it, you know, is it allocating um, kind of um, what we'd call a, like a contingency plan, you know, what if uh, plan? You know, yeah, great, yeah. great question, Joe. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look at this in, in a couple of different buckets, you know, and, you know, in my mind, it's, you know, there's some, I'll say short term strategies, medium, long term. And, you know, let's start with the short term. And that's kind of the what I would call the very, very reactive. Hey, you're, you're in the storm today. Right. You got suppliers yelling at you. You got customers angry at you. You know, you, you, you're trying to produce product, but you can't because you're short. You know, you got, you know, 
half your supply chain organization expediting material and <laughs> so forth. Like, you know, so what, what am I doing this week, next week, you know, and, you know, so just some thoughts again, certainly not a comprehensive list, but, you know, things I've seen talking to some of my, you know, colleagues, um, you know, uh, and, and I'll break it into two parts, you know, from the pure supply chain side is look, communication, you know, I mean, you've got to be on the phone with your suppliers. You've got right. to be meeting with them. You've got to be expressing what your concerns are. You've got to be flexible. You've got to understand what they really can do. And it's not necessarily all about, you know, how much can I pay you or this or that. It's again, hopefully you've got some good relationships with many of your suppliers and you want to have that dialogue. Why do you need it? How much could you get by with? What's the bare minimum? All right. If right. you can't deliver it this week, next week, What's the best you could do? Or, you know, or can you, you know, okay, you can't deliver my quantity this week. All right, if you broke that order into four orders, well, could you deliver me some quantity for the next four weeks? And and, right. and talk about it, you know, because, you know, you'd be surprised how, well, you know, because everyone's kind of running around with their hair on fire right now that right. sometimes people aren't sitting back saying, well, is there an alternative way to bring that supply in? You know, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. He said you needed 100,000 pieces next week. Well, all right, just don't tell me you can't do that. Well, right. what can you do for me? Well, right, could, I, could, could you give me 50,000 next week and 10,000 a week for the following five weeks or et cetera? You know, and, right. and, and they may say, well, okay, I don't have it. Oh, but you know what? I've got some capacity three weeks from now. And by the way, they may say, well, can you wait three weeks? Do you really right. need it? this week or next week because here's the other thing that 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 happens and hurts this whole situation right you know by the time you kind of break down all your demand into its constituent components right and you've got you know you've got half your supply chain expediting 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 what are they doing they're, they're, they're looking to get everything you know tomorrow next week the week after right. and unbeknownst to one person to the next like you said you know i'm building a product i need 100 components right and if you've already concluded that component number three, I've, I've, I've shaken every tree and that material is not showing up for 10 weeks. Well, what do I need to expedite anything else within 10 weeks? Right. And that's an example of communication. And those are the types of discussions. Once you understand that, okay, Mr. Supplier, I told you I needed it in four weeks, but Hey, you know what? I've got some other challenges. So if you get it to me by week 10, or 11, that would work. So it's get on the phone, have meetings. You know, in some cases, I, I can tell you in, in the case of Uber, there are a lot of very executive level meetings going on yeah. where, you know, our executives on, on, the, on the phone day and night with executives of, within the suppliers. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, right. and, and to the point, you know, we, I, let's use the example that you just gave. You know, we may need 100 thousand of those components but what are what are our processing uh capacities we may be only be able to process twenty five thousand a week so if that's the case then you don't need a hundred thousand today you need twenty five thousand right now for this week and then we'll get you another twenty five thousand every week for the next month and that could work for you depending on what your processing capabilities what your capacity constraints are so that could, that could work for you. So having these open dialogues, having this communication is definitely um, definitely one of the uh, a, a, a proven strategy that would help mitigate a lot of the impact that these companies are seeing. 
Right, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, and, and to the extent that, you know, you control some of that, um, you know, flexibility, I'll say, with, right, whether it's your factory or your supplies factory, look, how much can they flex up with capacity? So if you can sort of schedule or buy capacity, you may be able to say, yeah, I can build a plane around the 25,000 pieces a week for four weeks. Right. So, you know, so, but again, back to communication, you know, the other thing is, you know, leverage your suppliers. We call them tier ones, but you know, right. your direct suppliers. Well, well, guess what? You know, and, and in many cases, your suppliers are building parts for you and, you know, many other customers as well. So right. to the extent possible and based on the relationship you have, they may have inroads to sub suppliers that you don't know about. So again, they, part yeah. of good supplier relationship, you know, Hey, you know, I'm looking for this memory, this type of memory, this type of capacitor, yeah. et cetera. Hey, and you know, through our normal channels, we've not been able to, well, either not, not that we can't locate a source, but you know, we've come up dry everywhere. Yeah. And depending on where your suppliers are, what part of the world they are, what types of businesses they're in, you know, you may very well find out, well, geez, I've got some supplier in Asia that has a relationship with this company and blah, blah, blah. And, and through the relationship with your supplier, perhaps, you know, you can find some, I like to call them golden nuggets of supply that you right. otherwise never would have found. Yeah, and if they're willing to work with you through yeah. your supplier, that's certainly an avenue to find some incremental supply. And I can tell you that's yielded uh, dividends for us. Um, you know, the other ones is just, you know, back to some of the, you know, kind of, well, I'll say commitments, you know, some of, some of the suppliers will say, hey, if you are willing to give me a non-cancelable, non-returnable purchase order, I will, in some cases, give you priority over others. So, I mean, again, you're taking a risk because now you you place the yeah. PO, you own sure. that material, but that's probably a risk in 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 the days that we're you know with the challenges we have today. You're willing to take. And the other thing too is just in terms of commits, you know, give those suppliers visibility. You know, again, they're running around with the hair on fire. Also, you know, don't right. just be yelling at them for you know the next you know six to twelve weeks of supply. Many of right. them, if you share a longer term plan with them, so in other words, hey, I'm willing to give you a 52-week commit on on my demand, and whether that's with a PO or a partial PO or a blanket order, if you're willing to say, I'm willing to make a commit for a year's worth of supply, let's talk about it, yeah. that very often will move you up in the line. So those are a couple of things you can do with your suppliers. The other thing, you know, you can do internally is, you know, if there's ever been a need for safety stock, you know, this is it. And, right. you know, unfortunately, if you've just put up the safety stock now, it's not going to help much. But if you've had that safety stock loaded in months prior, right? you know, I can tell you that has saved us tremendously where, you know, and there's algorithms, et cetera, that are used, you know, what percentage of you know stock do you need to drive a safety stock but you know if you can drive that and have that you know wind up and pipeline through your suppliers that's always going to help you and any other thing is you know um in addition to normal safety stock you know certain key commodities like many of the ones we've affected you know we we use a policy you know of called you know strategic inventory it's not really safety stock per se but you know what a lot of the commodity teams will do is say you know what are the key you know well really starting with technologies which then leads to 
what are the key parts that really define a product? And you know, right. you look at any product, you know, take a mobile computer, for example, right? What are the real core elements to that? It's the processor, it's the memory, there right. may be an ASIC in there. Um, there are some optical parts, there is a, the battery, there is the LCD display and so forth. So there's probably, you know, I, I used to use the analogy, there's probably 20 parts that really define the technology uh, of a product. Right. And, and with those key things, you know, we have a process whereby we say, hey, that stuff is so critical that I can never come up short on that. And then what do we do? Aside from any safety stock policies, we, you know, collaboratively determine what's the right amount of, you know, call it buffer stock, et cetera. We call right. it strategic inventory that we would want to drive with that supplier above and beyond our demand plan so that, you know, we have always got a long pipeline of that material coming in. So that's another strategy that, you know, works and has paid huge, huge dividends. So it really um, does sound like communication and, and being honest and open about what your situation is, what your needs are, so that everybody's on the same page, so that everybody can work together to kind of meet that, meet that need. Um, it sounds like communication is a, a big key component here. It seems like a theme that I'm hearing uh, cycle back quite a few, quite off, pretty often. Yep, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, a couple other just last thoughts on the supply chain side is, again, back to pricing. You know, look, there's always the option and, and some of these suppliers, it's going to all be about dollars and cents. So if you're willing to pay a higher price and that's going to secure the material, well, you got to make that decision. Is it worth paying 25% more for certain materials to have the product and ship it? albeit at a lower margin, or do you just wait? And, right. you know, another strategy is, again, there's a big, you know, for most of these parts, you know, there are big broker communities out there where you can buy material through brokers and, you know, you can leverage those, you should. And if you don't have relationships with some of these part brokers, you absolutely should. You know, there are many, you know, broker companies, communities out there that, right. you know, specialize in just that. They buy and re and so it's like a stock market for, for components. You know, they buy and resell. You know, people have excess, they buy it. People need right. it, they sell it. And like, like any other commodities or stocks, well, you know, depending on supply and demand, sometimes you can get it, sometimes it's cheap, sometimes it's very expensive. So I'd strongly encourage that you do have a, uh, you know, some relationship with one or more um, of these brokers as well. Yeah, like a, like, a, like a contingency plan. You know, if if something should happen and we can't get it, we can we have a relationship with these folks over here and they may have a stockpile sitting there, may have to pay an, an extra buck or two, but we can get it. Right, right. And the point is, though, if you've already had that relationship, trust me, it will be easier when you do reach out in a time of need Oh, right. sure. I know you guys. I've got a good relationship. We've done business for X number of years versus that's the first call they get from you. Hey, Mr. Broker, I'm desperate. Help me. Right. And they're like, right. who, who are you? Who, who are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know who you are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that, that, you know, that's, that's great for the short term. But, you know, what happens when, you know, if this issue of a component shortage you know, carries on. So what happens, you know, in, 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 the, in the medium uh, term or the long term, what can companies do as a mitigation strategy? You know, we talked about 
um, what you can do in, 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 the, in the short term when you're in it, what can companies do, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, a longer term, you know, kind of planning for that? Um, is there something that they can do to ensure that they can get the stockpile in the long term? Yep. Sure. Great, great question. So again, let's start with the supply chain. You know, some of these things are probably things you should be doing anyway. Right. But, you know, in no particular order. Look, again, back to those critical, critical components. I mean, not everything. You can't be chasing thousand, but, you know, you should know what your critical parts are. Um, and, and again, if you have many single source items, you should you know, you should be multi-sourcing them if we're, we're, where possible. You want two or three sources for anything, you know, basic resiliency. So if one supplier, you know, has technology challenges, I mean, I've, I've lived through, I can't tell you how many earthquakes, tsunamis, et cetera, where, right. you know, unfortunately, you know, factories go through, you know, weather or acts of God and, you know, these factories close down for six months. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, well, that's the only place I buy that part from. Oh, well, now, well, now you're well, SOL. Well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so again, it, whether it's a single source item or one of those critical items, to the extent possible, you want to have them multi-source for those obvious reasons. Um, everyone talks about supply chain resilience. Well, we try and build it into our NPI development process. So in other words, when you're developing the product and developing the sources, don't let it wait for these types of events to drive that thought process. So in other right. words, when you're selecting parts, components, technologies in the MPI, in the early development stage, say, hey, I'm consciously going to have this multi-source. I'm going to understand those critical parts. I'm going to make sure they're multi-sourced or I'm going to build a very strong relationship with them. Right. You know, safety stocks, another very you know obvious thing. If you do, you know, if you really haven't pay, paid the right level of attention to safety stock, now's the time to do it. Right. And again, you can drive safety stocks at multiple levels. You can drive it as a, at your finished goods level. You can drive it at your component level. You can do right. both. Right. Because then you don't want to, you know, you know, quote unquote, be caught with your pants down um, because then, you know, that that's when you get yourself into trouble. That's right. Um, a couple other thoughts are, you know, again, look at your, your supply chain footprint. You know, what does that look like? How many suppliers? Where are they located? Um, and in the short term, uh, you know, a thought that, that can work is, you know, you may choose to partner with, I'll say, bigger suppliers, more global suppliers of certain parts and, and versus some of the medium to smallest uh, tier suppliers that you use today. And why is that? You know, because many of these large suppliers have enormous, um, you know, uh, spend leverage where, you know, where they're buying their raw material, et cetera. So if, you know, you partner with somebody who's buying that IC or that chip or that piece of memory, and well, if they're buying that same chip for other customers and they're buying a million of them a year or producing a million and you can tie in with that supply chain, you know, you may get the ability to actually get the part, whereas otherwise you would not, and you may get preferential pricing. You know, it's it's a it's catch twenty two because the flip side to that is, you know, if you're partnering with somebody who's making the same part for Apple or some of the phone manufacturers, it's great that you know you're kind of in the mix with them. 
But when it comes to times of shortage like now, right. the flip side of it may be, well, do I want to give my limited supply to Apple or to you? And I kind of know how that's worked out sometimes. So, uh, <laughs> right. Um, so, go ahead, John. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's great. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, to have that discussion and to planning, having these plans in place prior to when the fire breaks out, so to speak, um, is definitely going to position companies to be way more responsive than they would have if they don't have these plans already in place, you know, kind of planning out the what ifs, you know, um, and I think, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier is understanding your risk um, is a huge component to that as as well. So um, what can companies do long-term? You know, we touched on the short-term, we touched on, you know, in the interim, What's what are some of the long term strategies that companies can implement to kind of, to kind of protect themselves and, and to have these mitigation strategies so that they're better prepared and they can kind of, you know, endure the storm, so to speak? Yeah, no, another another great question. And, you know, look, I'll start with, you know, you know, one of the key things is, again, relationships with those suppliers. You know, everyone's got different names, but, you know depending on the number of supplies you've got, you've probably got, I'll say the top five, 10% are your key suppliers, your core suppliers, the ones you should have the absolute best relationship with. Well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And the key thing is, you know, you've got to foster those relationships with those absolutely core suppliers. And what does that mean? That means FaceTime with them. That means executives talking to executives. Not not in time of crisis, but look, let's determine how we can foster a relationship that's good for you, that's good for us. Yeah. And and a lot of that is, you know, again, executive reviews, collaboration, information sharing. You know, because a lot of times things have been very tight to the vest. I'm gonna I'm I'm only gonna give you you know, 26 weeks of forecast. I'm not going to share more than that. I'm not going right. to share things like product roadmaps. Well, if you open that, you know, aperture up and say, hey, look, I want you to be one of my key suppliers. And right. to do that, I'm going to obviously not share proprietary information, but to the right. extent possible, look, I am more than willing to share long-term forecast a year or two, if not. Um, I am going to share our technology roadmap. Where are we going? 3G right. to 4G, this type of memory to that type of memory, optical technologies, sensor technologies, et cetera. And so that I can determine that if we are aligned, so what does your right. technology roadmap look like for the next three years, five years? And can, you know, if you're aligned to that, fantastic. And, and by the way, that goes both ways because, you know, you as the product manufacturer may have a roadmap for products, technologies, et cetera. And you talk to these suppliers that are, you know, experts in those fields. Yeah. Well, they may tell you, well, we're going in this direction for the next right. five years. By the way, the industry is probably going in that direction. So right. if your company thinks you're going, you know, north by northeast and they say, no, no, you're going south by southeast. That's <laughs> right. where the industry. Well, good. Let's have that discussion because right. I don't now- want to aspire to get to something that's unrealistic. And, you know, again. A, a true partner, a true supplier will be willing to share that. Other suppliers will not. Right. Um, 
And I think that's a, I think that's important. You know, you touched on uh, aligning the strategies. Um, and if the if you know as a company that your vision and your products are going into this direction, and and then you can and you communicate to the, your supplier, and they say, well, we're really we're really not heading in that direction. Have that communication. Have that have that conversation. Vet that out so that way you guys can know that hey. This is where we're going. Can you help us get there? Are you going to be able to join us, join with us in that journey? And if not, that's fine. This relationship isn't the one that we need to have then because this is where we're going. We need you to get us there. And if you can't, let's have that dialogue so that we can be at least be aware of that and know that that's coming and that, that that's out there. You know, um, I, I always, I, I like the, uh, the phrase that, you know, a ship, that is set a course and is off by one degree will wind up a thousand miles away from its target. Absolutely. Um, and again, back to relationships too, is again, maybe you have to explore new relationships, yeah, um, uh, new partnerships. It could be. Um, but again, and what's your commit to them? You know, uh, there, there are a lot of efforts around, Hey, you are my, one of my, my short list of core key suppliers. Well, you may wish to make investments in their capability. Look, if we're going to partner, let's be real about it. And, yeah. you know, I've seen investments in their, you know, capabilities, their technology, capacity, you know, through, through you know, engineering, testing, and innovation that's gone on in your company. You may be able to share some of that, you know, secret sauce with your supplier who's perhaps doing very similar testing at the component level that right. maybe they have never thought of. Well, you know, let me show you. A, a test methodology that we've developed that could probably help you with your quality, with your throughput, with your reliability, et cetera, with your lead times, perhaps even with your cost. So you're making investments in some of these suppliers. And, and again, back to supply chain resilience. If you don't have a formal process by which you already have plan A, B, C, and D identified how are we going to get in front of this in the event of a COVID event, in the event of a weather event, an act right. of God, uh, you know, uh, government restrictions, um, you know, uh, import, export, tariffs, et cetera. So, Absolutely. you know, I, I, I could tell you, we've got a, you know, you know, we go through resilience planning two or three times a year and it's because, well, and, and, and thankfully, so when things like tariffs came up, you know, 12 to 15 months ago. Right. Well, we said, well, okay, where's the impact? Oh, it's in these countries and geographies. And we already had a plan. Well, okay, we can go to these other countries, these other technologies. We can switch our distribution, go from distribution out of point A to point B. And in the end, it had very minimal impact because a plan was in place up front. So right. if you don't have, you know, a resilience strategy, step back. Look at where you're buying material. Look at where your distribution points are and say, what if that supplier right. factory was taken out tomorrow? What would I do? Right. Where and would I of, start? And kind of, you know, it's, it comes down to scenario planning even, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What is our, what, what would we do? The initial, uh, re, you know, thought would be, well, now we're, you know, SOL, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of down, you know, caught on the creek without a paddle and we don't have a plan here um so you know having these contingency plans you know ha have 
what is our backdoor exit basically and to get out of here if we have to so that we can stay afloat. Absolutely. And, you know, there, there are technical solutions, too, that we really haven't touched on a lot. You know, a lot, a lot of folks look at this as a, you know, supply chain problem. Supply chain needs the solution. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. But, you know, from an you know, engineering perspective, and there's been sort of a big kind of inflection point in our engineering. And by the way, nobody in engineering wants to do it. They want to go off and design the next great product and technology. But, right. you know, um, inevitably what's happened is, you know, uh, you know, we've been forced to absorb the cost of unplanned redesigns. And we're going through many of those right now. Look, I just, I've, I've shaken every tree. I cannot get that part anywhere. Brokers, right. I'm done. So I can either wait nine months and not ship product or what else can I do? So, you know, <laughs> a percentage of our engineering teams have, have done, you know, yeoman's work going through a very expedited process of, okay, what's, what can I do? Can I go to a different part, a different technology, a different supplier and, and design it in, qualify it, release it and, and get it out to market. And, and they're doing that very kind of reactively now which has led to, again, how do you get in front of these events? And again, right. some of these are predictable, some of these are not, but there are a lot of, um, uh, I'll say, software and planning programs that are out there where you can basically grade your bill of material for the parts where, right. you know, and it's a big database that gets collected through multiple industries and they'll say, you know, is sort of based on industry knowledge and sales trends and, and those suppliers' inputs that, Here's the expected life cycle of that part. It might be a year. It might be five years. It might be three years. And there's always some percentage of error. But what it allows you to do is to say, hey, I've just, I'm about to release my next great product. Okay, fine. Have you, quote unquote, graded the bill of material? Well, why would I do that? Well, because if you did, you'd find out that the product you're releasing tomorrow, your first part's going to become obsolete in three months. And then what are you going to do? Right. So, right. so either, well, maybe you should have a, a bill of material with a longer life cycle in it, number one, or number two, you better be planning to do a redesign in three months because your brand new product will be high and dry and you don't want that to happen. So that's one of the proactive things with every product release. You know, we grade the bills of materials to say, what parts are at risk? Can I solution them now? And what is that solution? Is it an alternate source? Well, good. I have six months. So let me start qualifying the alternate source. If I have to do a redesign, so be it. And, and one of the solutions may very well be, you know, depending on the type of part and, and the magnitude of effort by engineering, unfortunately, it may be, I, I, my best solution may be I'm going to secure three years worth of material today because it's cheaper than, you know, going through a full redesign with all the associated regulatory costs, et cetera. So the point is engineering can and should be a part of your solution when the normal supply chain, you know, um, you know, solutions really don't pan out with you. And then, you know, finance, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on finance where to your point, you know, there's cost implications to this, there's customer implications and, you know, what we've done and what everyone should be doing is saying, look, this is the new normal now. And, you know, everyone yeah. built business plans last year and now everyone's kind of scratching their head now. Well, we've recovered. We can barely ship product. Well, what about our financials? Are we cognizant of that? What is my margin plan? Am I going to hit it? No. 
what's my revenue plan? Am I going to hit it? Well, depending on your company, maybe, maybe not. Right. But, and you know, what incremental costs have I been forced to absorb, whether that's purchase price variance on parts, you know, additional engineering spend and so forth. Um, if, if I had to do exceptional things, you know, we, we've got stuff going on in our distribution centers where um, we've built rework capability there, unplanned expenses, great, great flexibility to have, but more costs. So, and the point is, you know, that's all been communicated to finance such that at least internally, we understand, hey, look, we know there's going to be a, a variance to you know, to the operating plan for the year due to many of these unplanned costs. But that's been kind of funneled through our finance organization, at least internally, they've said, well, okay, we can recalibrate to that. But so what you don't want to do is go through all of this, you know, like you said, hair on fire exercises, I sort of recover, I think I ship most of my product. And then you'll be sitting there at the end of the year saying, oh, wow, the margin is terrible. Look at all these extra expenses. Nobody mm. planned for them. Right. So now, you know, we've got, you know, a few, you know, specific people that have sort of, like I said, within the finance team, we have to feed them that information. They're kind of doing a red B version of what that plan looks like. Right. And so that, and that's been communicated to the senior executives and all the businesses. So that, look, there's not a surprise. And look, they expect it, but now they're just saying, look, I had a plan. Fantastic. Hey, by the way, I know you guys are working like crazy. We love you. We appreciate the effort. But at the end of the day, I just need to know what is that impact to me financially, whether it's in my product or my overhead, et cetera, so that if there are other avenues or opportunities or projects to perhaps bring in some additional revenue or cut some other cost, how much am I going to miss my plan by? You know, $100,000. Right. So that business leader can then say, can I plug a $100,000 gap somewhere else? Can I cut cost out of another project? Maybe I have to cancel one project, et cetera. So now they can sort of recalibrate to the new normal and there's a plan for your outcome at the end of all this madness. So finance has to be a part of it as well. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, um, having these conversations and, you know, we, we touched on it earlier, one of the key elements and the, one of the key components throughout this whole, whole entire conversation is communication. It's critical. You have to communicate to your suppliers. You have to communicate to your teams. Everybody's got to be on the same page so that they can make the correct actions. They can respond appropriately. So I think we touched on uh, that communication is absolutely vitally critical. Yeah, and it's uh, difficult. They're, they are, in most cases, difficult conversation. And like you said, it's it's on all three levels. Obviously, internally with your teams, not only mm -hmm. within the supply chain, but all your quote-unquote even internal customers and internal suppliers. You're working with engineering. You're working with the business teams. You're working with finance. You're working with the program manager. Guys, you have to be transparent as to what's going on. And um, no surprises. And again, with the suppliers, we talked about that in terms of, look, it's got to be very frequent, very realistic, very open, honest dialogue. That's got to be not yes or no, but options. What can you do? How much can you help me? When can you deliver if it's not tomorrow? Give me some options. Um, right. and, and by the way, if I can help you help me, I'm willing to do that. So if I provided some engineering resources to you. Right. Would that enable you to ship me some product? And those yeah. are the types of dialogues you want to have. Right. Because right? if I can if I can help you help me, then it's a win-win all around. 
that's right. And, and lastly, which probably should have been first, though, is the, the difficult at times discussions with the suppliers. Look, they understand. They understand the situation that we're all in. But again, you know, being as transparent as possible goes a long way. I can't, you know, emphasize that enough. You know, again, I, I, I feel sorry for a lot of our senior executives in the supply chain because that's all they do every day. Right. Getting, getting on the phone with big customers, getting in meetings, getting yelled at, and we're telling them, look, we do have plans. We are recovering. Thankfully, I think, you know, if you look at us relative to many of our competitors, I think we're way ahead of the curve in terms of recovery because of a lot of this, you know, planning we've done and resilience right. planning and safety stocks, et cetera. We are doing well, better than most. But again, there are certain customers that, you know, depending on their, you know, usage profile, you know, look, certain customers, I'm a distributor, yeah, you know, I, you know, four weeks delivery delay may, may not kill me, but you've got other big accounts, you know, USPS and UPS that are, that are buying for holiday season. And say, look, if I miss holiday season, well, I don't need your product anymore, or I'm, I'm opening a new store in 10 weeks. And if I don't get the equipment, right. I can't open my store. Right. You know, so, those are the things and trade-offs then we have to go and make to say, look, I know what I have. I can't service and support all my customers. They're all valuable and important to me. Right. What trade-offs can I make? And look, once you, and that's what it really comes down to, once you've made that trade-off, you've got to say, hey, Mr. Customer number one, two, three, here's the best we can do. We do value you. Yeah. Here's my commit. If anything changes, I'm going to, you'll be the first to hear. Uh, you know, uh, there may be some volatility in these commits based on things we cannot control, but they need to know that. And, and most of them do value that to say, okay, at least you've been honest. I know you're trying. Right. Tell me again, just like the supplier discussion, while the customer discussion, they're going to say, tell me the best you can do. Are there options? Can you ship me partials? You know, et cetera. Right. You know, are there other alternatives short term? And I'll give you a great example. You know, you know, you talk about recycling of product. Uh, you know, we've got a whole, you know, they call it a circular economy program where our services team is buying back used equipment. Right. Well, right. well, why? Well, one, they can bring it into their service organization and harvest parts out. So now that's less burden on the already strained supply chain. And right. or they can use, depending on the condition of the product, they can refurbish it and resell it further reducing the demand for new components. Absolutely. You know, just, just, a, you know, a couple of examples. So, Hey, w would you accept, you know, you know, used equipment to close the gap until I can ship? Oh, I never thought of that. Hey, let's have that discussion. And that right. may be a solution. Hey, would you accept, I know you want product a, but guess what? I happen to have adequate supply of product B it's similar, maybe not exactly the same, but, Hey, would it be okay if I shipped you, you know, X number of product B to kind of hold you over? I can help you with the software development, et cetera. Right. And then whether you, either you keep it or you return that unit, that product to us and we can give you the original product that you wanted. But none of those things happen unless you have those discussions. You get, they right. want what they want, but then if you can pose some reasonable alternatives, Again, yeah. in the name of customer satisfaction, and I can tell you, you know, we've deployed many strategies like that where, you know, I'll, I'll say most of our customer base, you know, knows what's going on. They understand the reasons behind it. Frankly, they've seen us probably outperform many of our competitors. 
And as painful as it's been, they're actually very grateful for the communication, for the effort, and, you know, for the, our ability to um, deliver more than most of their other suppliers have. But again, it all starts with that, that communication. Right. All right, Bill, we're running uh, low on time here, so I want to wrap things up. But uh, what's one piece of advice that you can give to the, you know, anybody that's listening to us right now on how to kind of navigate these turbulent waters and kind of mitigate some of the impacts so that, you know, when, when, you know, a wave does come crashing down on you, it's not as big of an impact as it might have been. Resilience planning in two words. You've, you've heard supply chain resilience. Yep. Have your plan before the event happens. And again, can you predict all the events? No, but you look at kind of what's happened due to COVID, but similar things have happened with tariffs. Similar things have happened with natural disasters. And as long as you can say, like you said, it's sort of probability and, you know, risk aversion planning, but look, you know, and, and you can, Without an event happening, you can probably, you should be able to identify your own risk, whether it's, I only sole source these components. Well, why is that? You know, uh, my suppliers only have so much upside flex capacity. Well, why is that? I know in certain events, I'm going to need twice that. Oh, you know, uh, my lead times are too long. Well, what can I do about it? Um, uh, I have sole source on these 10 parts. Well, why? I should have them more. I, I've not graded those parts right. in my bill of material. Well, well, you designed in failure then before you even released the product. But I think, you know, if you can have a resilience strategy, right. you know, before the event happens so that you can say, okay, this happened. I can pull out what I like to call, I can pull out the playbook and say, okay, this happened. Yeah. I know what to do. It's like, you know, it's like a good EMS team. They know how to triage, you know, why? It's not because they're figuring it out when they go to the crash site, they're saying, Okay, I know. If this happens, I do ABC. If that happens, I do DEF. Well, I think in a in a strange way, the supply chain is very much like that. You're trying to anticipate what could go wrong, and I think you can look at yourself and your supply chain yeah. and your, you know, supply footprint and say, am I best positioned for the challenging environment that will come? Because look, the reality is these challenges are going to come, whether it's COVID, like I said, natural disasters, political events, who knows. And what you don't want to do is be scrambling to build the playbook and then try and execute the playbook because you'll fail every time. So you want to have the playbook ahead of time through your resilience plan. And, um, and then you can just say, oh, okay, for this, I go to page six and I know what to do. And I can just put those plans in place and that's going to allow me to recover more quickly. Right. And, and probably in another word, again, I'll just say, you know, you know, again, I go back to safety stock. Everyone talks safety stock. Everyone has safety stock policies, but really rethink them. You know, do I want to, should I drive more safety stock? There's risk with that. It's inventory. If I, you know, I have obsolescence issues, et cetera. But again, you should have a, a robust safety stock policy on most of your parts. And for your key parts, you should have a, a very well thought out whether you call it a safety stock or a right. strategic inventory position on, you know, so ask yourself if I'm building cars, mobile computers, playstations, it doesn't matter. You know, what are the five parts I never want to come up short on? Right. And have a strategic policy that says, 
how am I going to prevent that from happening? And if you can't answer that question, you better start thinking hard. <laughs> Go back to the drawing boards, right? That's right. <laughs> Go That's back. Right. All right, Bill. I think we're out of time right now. But Bill, I really do want to thank you for your time. You certainly uh, have a lot going on. And I know that the world of supply chain, especially with this component shortage, is hectic and busy. Um, it's great job security, but it is definitely uh, getting busy and crazy. Um, I, on the behalf of all of us at ASCM New York with the Long Island Forum chapter, I want to thank you for listening uh, and tune in for the next episode of Supply Chain Briefs. Uh, Bill Leonard, thank you again for your time, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, my pleasure, Joe. Have a good evening.